0: Glad that uh, you are here. Again, if you're watching online, thanks for being here. If you're watching from Otis, hey, I got a chance last week to actually be at Otis. And uh, there is a movement of, movement of God that has just taken place that is just absolutely amazing. You know, they're packed out in the first service and just exciting things, you know, that are happening to Otis. And so remember, Otis, you only got a couple weeks left before you officially become a, a church plant. So uh, invite people, invite people, invite people. Easter's coming, you know, and God's going to do amazing things. Now, Barker, thanks for being here. Uh, before we jump into this message, as a reminder for those of you who are Online. If you are not choosing to come be on site because of distance or because of medical protection for yourself or those that you love, we applaud you. We encourage you, thank you for staying connected. But if the only reason that you are watching is out of convenience, I cannot stress enough how much this is going to hurt you in the long run. So I wanna to continue to encourage you to come on site. If you get a chance, maybe Easter, you're kind of circling that date. We know that announcements are coming out all the time about where Washington is moving and, and the vaccine It continues to to get out. So, whatever it means, for those of you who are just watching, surely out of comfort, I want to encourage you, come back. You're missing what God wants to do while you're in the room together. Uh, now, uh, we all have a picture of Jesus. Uh, when I say, what do you think of when you think of Jesus? So, there's this picture, this idea that comes to your mind. Like, for example, uh, maybe you picture Jesus as a great. Teacher. So this might be a picture, as you have of Jesus as a great teacher. Uh, Maybe you picture Jesus as a compassionate, a compassionate healer. Maybe that's one of the things you think of stories of how he healed people. Uh, maybe you think of Jesus as a shepherd who cares for his sheep. This is the picture that I is embedded in my brain because it was always in our Sunday school you know wall when I was uh, in elementary school. It never changed. Where Jesus is walking around with a shepherd, and I just wondered how, how long he could carry a sheep. I'd just be like you know how long can he actually hang on before he even he gets too tired. Uh, for some of you, uh, Jesus is uh, your best friend. Maybe even your homeboy, you know, and so maybe this is the picture, you know, that you have like, here's my friend, you know, we're connected there. But I wonder how many of you guys, when I asked you what your picture of Jesus is, that this vision came to mind, where you think about Jesus going into a temple and just going crazy, that he was just angry and he threw open these 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 tables and he created whips and we're going to get into that in just a second but that's usually not a picture of Jesus that we're either comfortable with or that we're actually very familiar with so before we get into Jesus let's start with you and let's start with me what makes you mad what makes you mad? In fact, uh, if you're sitting by someone, uh, just go ahead and whisper over to them. When, when I say what makes you mad, here's the first thing that comes to your mind. You know, what is that for you? And if you're watching online, put it in the chat. If you're just sitting by somebody at home, uh, do that as well. Otis, make sure you're reaching over and telling somebody what makes you mad. While you're doing that, I, uh, I asked this question, you know, on social media and got hundreds and hundreds of responses. It wasn't hard, right? For people to identify what makes them Mad. I start thinking, you know, in my own life, what makes me mad? Uh, I know that when I am clearly disrespected in front of other people, that makes me mad. Uh, I know that when I see how Christians are being talked about in the news media about so much about what we're against versus what we're for, it, it makes me mad. When I see an injustice, you know, that takes place where somebody is bullying somebody else, you know, or taking advantage of those, you know, who are weak, especially those who are young or of a different background, especially a skin color, it makes me mad. Or those who create disunity, you know, or who entrust themselves, thinking the government's supposed to save us, it makes me mad mad. And so there's more and more things that I'm sure that you have in your own heart and mind that makes you mad as well. Now, I want to pause for just a second, because I don't know if you realize that today, this weekend, happens to be the one-year anniversary of when COVID shut us down. One year ago, let that sink in for just a second, we went from on-site— in all cases, to 48 hours, we had to come up with an online experience, and we were to shut down for two weeks so that we could flatten the curve. Here we are, 52 weeks later, and the curve is finally flattened. But let it sink in for just a second. Of this past year, we realized a lot about ourselves, didn't we? What did we put our hope into? What did we put our trust into? Uh, Where do we find ourselves let down based on maybe values or priorities that we have misplaced? Uh, In addition, was there a year worse than this where we experienced or saw so many people getting mad, getting angry? People mad over Inslee for how he handled the year and the effects on people from the business livelihood and mental health standpoint? Versus people mad at others for not complying to Inslee's directives or mandates because he's just trying to help save people from not dying. What's fascinating to me as somebody who lives in Idaho is how mad people got at Governor Little in Idaho for all of his restrictions. And I'm like, if only you knew. Uh, People mad, you know, over having to wear masks. You know, I think uh, the word Karen, you know, uh, became a trending topic uh, versus those mad over those not wearing masks. People mad about the lack of reopening schools based on the science that it doesn't affect kids versus people mad that states and places were opening schools because they don't understand the science that they can carry the disease home and potentially kill parents or grandparents. People mad that the church closed its on-site services for just a few weeks or months versus people mad that we didn't just stay open from day one. People mad that you can't see how racism is still real and taking place all over the place versus those people who are mad that we're not appreciating or supporting our police officers more. So hashtags of Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, and All Lives Matter, all mad at each other that began to take place. People mad that the election was stolen from President Trump versus people mad that there's been no proof that that actually being true. People mad that we just passed another stimulus as our economy seems to be already trending in the right direction and we're concerned concerned about inflation versus those mad that it took this long because it's the poorest of the people who are hit right now the hardest. And it continues. Have I made you mad yet? (laughs) Right? Has any of those things uh, created an emotional response? What made you mad this past year? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, and if Jesus was physically present and walked this year with us, what would he be mad about? And then take it a step further As followers of Christ, would what is what we're mad about the same things that Jesus is mad about? And shouldn't that be the case? See, we need to start back as we kick off this series, asking the question, what did make Jesus mad? What made him mad? Now understand this, there is nothing wrong with being angry. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, you, have, you have heard or told others, don't be angry. You're like, no, no, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't be angry. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Or don't let the sun go down while you're angry. But it doesn't talk about being angry as a sin because Jesus obviously was angry. Uh, first, let me tell you who didn't make, did not make Jesus mad in the times that we clearly see in the Bible. Uh, for example, people who are complete downright dirty ugly sinners who didn't believe in him they didn't make him mad also which was this is this one's more painful for some political roman people those who oversaw jesus wasn't mad In fact, those who are leading and occupying the country as Rome did at this time, you and I would find ourselves mad at, but we don't see evidence that Jesus was mad. In fact, one of the reasons that Judas eventually betrays Jesus is because he's so mad that Jesus is not doing what he thinks the Messiah should be doing, which is overthrowing the political establishment. So he's mad. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. The entire crowd begins to yell, Hosanna, God save us. Six days later, same crowd yelled, crucify him. They were a little mad that he did not do what they thought he was supposed to, supposed to do. So what makes Jesus mad? Or maybe I should ask, who makes Jesus mad? Let me give you two words. Religious people. Religious people. Specifically, people denying... Or hindering access to God, people denying or hindering access to God, and we see this played out in the Bible in four intertwined ways. And so we're going to spend the next three weeks, leading up and through Easter, looking at this. In fact, if you want to take a little bit more of a deeper dive, my friend, you know, uh, Pastor Tim Harlow, who's a pastor back in Chicago, wrote a book with this title within the last couple of years which is what made Jesus mad. In fact, I'd encourage those of you have the YouVersion Bible app. There's actually a 10-day quiet time study that you can walk through to go even deeper as you go through the series, you know, in order to help understand maybe what this looks like in the life of Jesus and in the lives of us as well. See, there's four ways that this is played out in the Bible for how people denied or hindered access to God that made people mad, that made Jesus mad. Ready, the first one? Legalism. Judgmentalism hypocrisy, and indifference to suffering. That's what you see in the Bible. Now, and as I said, they're intertwined in so many different ways. So let's, let's hit the first one and kind of go into the second one as well for this time together. Again, we're talking about those who are hindering and holding back people from access to God, which is the word legalism. Now, that word, a phrase, gets thrown out a lot even in our culture today. And here would be the phrase, you're so legalistic but I do not think that we know what that word really means. I don't think that we we use it in the right setting because legalism, according to the Bible, is attempting to secure righteousness, which is a right standing before God for salvation, as well as in our Christian walk, in God's sight by good works. That's what it is. Legalists believe that they can earn God's approval by performing the requirements of the law, requirements of the Bible. So let me show you how this got played out in Jesus' day and why it made him so mad. In Luke chapter 11, we find this story. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. By Jewish custom. So he's offended, he's amazed, he's taken aback that Jesus, who's a so-called rabbi, would not do what is expected before the meal. Which, the way it would work in a ceremonial washing is that you would take, this wasn't just a, 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 like a cleansing where you just wash your hands, you'd actually take, a, it's about an egg-sized, you know, thing of water, and you kind of pour it over your hands, and you kind of let it drip down, and it was a longer process. Think doctor going in for surgery, You know, that you kind of walk in like this, like now it is cleansed. Now I am ready. So then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools. Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? Then he goes on to verse 46. What sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law for you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. We're going to hit more of that next week. Verse 52. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law for you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves and you prevent others from entering as well. What they were doing is they were taking the laws of God And the very laws of God, they were actually creating a stumbling block or an issue for people to actually connect to God. And this made Jesus mad. In fact, one of the questions we need to start asking ourselves is, how do we become legalistic? How do we turn that? Most people who come to faith in Christ, they don't start out that way, but there is a gravitational pull at times for us to end up that way. You see, here are two ways that this happens and could happen in our lives, which is a warning for us on this day. First is focusing on God's law more than relationship with God and others. You see the difference? If you don't put first things first, the trajectory towards legalism becomes easier to obtain. See, I believe that if you lean towards legalism, that many Christians are not comfortable with grace. They're not comfortable. Uh, because we, if we're not comfortable with what grace means, then we sure don't want other people to be. Right? We don't want them to be comfortable as well. In other words, if I'm going to obey these laws, then darn it, so are you because it's about right and wrong. It's black and white. Here's the list, and here's what you got to do to connect to him. So the first way we head down this legalistic trap is by focusing on God's law more than relationship with him. The second way we find ourselves heading down this trap is adding human rules to God's laws and then treating them as divine, as if God's inspired them. See, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees at this very point saying, you teach human traditions as if they were the word of God. You have no right To heap up restrictions on people where he has not stated that restriction, is what Jesus is saying. See, in Jesus' day, uh, after he left, it was the Jewish Christians who struggled with trying to figure out, do we try to make people Jewish before they can be Christians? Do we try to add that kind kind of legalism on them? And you can read about that story actually in Acts chapter 15 and how important and defining that was for our faith. So here are ways that we see this played out in even our culture today. You're not a Christian, or at least you're not a good one, if you celebrate Halloween. See, if you dress up little kids and get candy, do you realize that you're actually participating in a satanic holiday and you're supporting Satan by allowing your kids to go outdoors on that evening? Have we ever thought about where the Christmas tree comes from at Christmas time? You don't want to study that. Hey, you can't drink alcohol at any point of time. Because obviously, good Christians don't do that. That was a little bit of what I grew up with. In my household, we kind of skipped that first miracle of Jesus turning that water into wine. It was just strong grape juice. See, true Bible interpretation only happens... Through the original King James Version, maybe the new King James Version or ESV, but definitely not the NIV and for sure not the NLT. In fact, uh, when I grew up, there was, there was a gal, you know, in our church, you know, when we went from the New King James Version and we started having the New International Version that was a version of the Bible that started go- taking place in 1984, you know, um, in our church growing up, I had a lady that came up to my dad actually got a chance to overhear it and says, I am leaving this church because you are watering down the word of God. Here is the word of God. And she was holding up the King James Version of the Bible. And, she, and my dad looked at her and she said, yes, this is the version that Jesus used and she walked out, and she was mad and upset. Some of, some of you, it's going to take a few minutes knowing that the Bible was not written in English. Anyway, growing up, right, there was a time where we didn't allow, get this, women to serve communion because it was a symbol of spiritual oversight, and the Bible is very clear on women's role and oversight when it comes to communion. Wait, what? Growing up uh, Christians, uh, would consistently, especially the mature ones, would have to come back to service on Sunday night. If you didn't come back to service on Sunday night, where the deep meat was, then people began to question whether you were really a deep Christian. Uh, Some churches, you know, have chosen not to have musical instruments at all during services because it's not mentioned in the New Testament, and we're commanded to praise God with our voices, but not with instruments. Of course, it's not biblical. Other churches say you're not saved unless you speak in tongues. Again, is it in the Bible? Absolutely, for sure. But is it an indicator of salvation? You see, this is part of our culture, and it can easily be received. See, sometimes the term legalist is applied to Christians, though, who honestly try to obey the commands of God. See, here's the opposite side of the same coin. Does grace mean that we shouldn't care about our actions then? In other words, in church, someone can say, stop being legalistic. I have the freedom— I have the freedom to get drunk, to move in with my boyfriend or girlfriend before getting married, and watch whatever I want to watch and do whatever I want to do because ultimately Christ died for it and I have grace, and so it's not a salvation issue. Now, you're right, it's not a salvation issue, but it is a relational one. You see, true relationship with Jesus leads us to follow him in word and deed. It's not the law that gets us to follow Jesus. It's relationship with Jesus that gets us to follow his commands because we're in deep abiding relationship with him. In fact, Jesus says it this way in John 14, 15, if you love me, relational, you will obey what I command. If you don't obey what I command, it's actually evidence and proof that you don't really love me. You see how that works? See, faith devoid of actions isn't really faith at all. Grace is freely given to us, and we have faith in Christ as a redeeming sacrifice on our behalf. And as we grow in our love for Christ, we obey him. We do. We obey God not to earn our salvation, but because of relational faith in Christ and our love for him. That's why we obey. See, if we obey Jesus. There is freedom that we can have and freedom of conscience, and freedom of the spirit. If you don't believe me, you can read Romans chapter 14 this week, and it might be a little eye-opening on some of the freedoms that we have in him. Understand, you know, that this is a dangerous path that we're talking about because legalism leads somewhere. Do you know where it leads? Directly to judgmentalism. That's the natural byproduct if you embrace legalism. In fact, Jesus tells this story that a religious leader, a Pharisee, goes to the temple to pray, and so does a sinner, a tax collector. And the Pharisee says, Lord God, I thank you that I am not like this tax collector. I thank you that I'm not this sinful, wretched, terrible person who treats you and other people awfully. I'm glad I am not like other people who are cheaters, sinners, and adulterers. I fast twice a week, and I give you, God, a tenth of my income. This was the prayer of a Pharisee. Do you hear the judgmentalism? Where the tax collector stood at a distance, he didn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, and he simply prayed this prayer. Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. And Jesus says that it was this tax collector who actually went home justified before God than the Pharisee did. See, what makes him mad? What makes Jesus mad is when we become legalistic over the things that God never intended for them to become. Because when we do, he knows that judgmentalism begins to take place. And then it becomes the comparison game of I'm better than you because we've got to keep score. Judgmentalism at its core kills a love and passion for those not yet connected to Jesus. It inevitably leads us that way. We look at people based on disgust or comparison instead of on compassion. We look at others and say, I am better than that person instead of realizing the only difference between me and that person is I might have received Jesus Christ as my Savior. But it's so easy for us to go, it's we, Christians, good, you, world, bad, and everybody and everything associated with it. And yet John three sixteen seems to indicate something else and something more powerful. See, why is it that it seems that so many people can have such great biblical knowledge, but at times, at least in my life, they can be some of the most judgmental. Having all the right answers, even biblical ones do not always equal the right result which is why Paul writes in First Corinthians chapter 13, if I have the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. But I have all this understanding. I know what the Bible has to say, but are we living what the Bible has to say? Relationship with Christ, with other people, leads and compels us to obedience in relationship with him and others. In fact, don't just hear it from me. I want you to hear it from Martina, who had an experience just kind of growing up and what it meant for her to understand what it meant to go to another level in her relationship with Jesus and other people. Go ahead and watch this with me now.
1: So I was baptized as a child. I was very involved in the church. I was in choir and I was in youth group. There came a time in my life as a young adult where I didn't want to have the state of Germany dictate what I was giving to the church. So I decided to quit going. I didn't really know what a relationship was with Jesus. We ended up at VIL and everything changed. I did Bible studies. I did the Titus II mentoring program. I was surrounded by wonderful ladies. I don't know what they have, but that's what I want. But the baptism, that was not on my mind. I'm like, hey, I've done it all. I've been baptized as a child. I went to Holy Communion. I went to confirmation. Like, why would I want to do this again? Why? I didn't see a reason. One of the things the lady suggested for me is like, just get up early and spend time with the Lord and see what's gonna happen. Through learning more through scripture, finally starting to read the Bible, listening to the sermons, what was talked about baptism. I really got an understanding that baptism, underwater, that's what you need to do. The Lord really put it on my heart. I asked Hester if she could baptize me on my birthday. I remember when I came out of the water, like I had like the biggest smile on my face and I felt free and safe. And it was like something was taken away from me. What I'm most excited about is that I have a real relationship with jesus and that nobody can take away from me i hope you know that when you hear this you you see how how god speaks truth into you all you have to do is to
0: obey cool can we stay god from the field? We absolutely need to know God's word. We need to know God's laws. We need to know God's commands. But you understand that every single one of them is based on protecting or enhancing relationship with him and with other people. That's what the scripture is all about. For us to understand, oh, wait a minute. If I put rules above relationship, it's going to equal rebellion. But if I put relationship rules follow, it equals protection and growth and enhancement and an entire experience that God desires for us to have in relationship with him and with other people. Jesus came in and was so angry how the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day were hindering access because Jesus's purpose was to create access and connection to God. Which is why it says in Luke nineteen ten, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Which is why when Jesus died on the cross, it says in the temple, the thing that separated God and man was this ginormous curtain that would separate the Holy of Holies where God was. reside. Think of Indiana Jones, you know, Lost Ark, you know, just think about that kind of experience. And all of a sudden, as soon as he died and gave up his breath, it was torn from top to bottom. And he says, this is the access that I want to grant you based on the sacrifice that I'm going to give. Jesus was labeled by people of his day. And it was a label that was not a compliment. It was a label that was derogatory and it was negative. Friend of sinners. Jesus, you're a friend of sinners. You hang out with people. Now, let me be clear. Jesus hung out with people. He never engaged with what people did, but he was never afraid relationally to connect with those farthest from God because that is why he came. Guys, there are Christ followers who care more about the worship song selection, the volume, the way sermons should be given, a governor's recommendations or mandates over those who are lost and going to hell. That makes no sense to me. And why would be so consumed about things that don't matter? Which is why when Jesus came, I'm going to do everything I can to help teach these religious people that we're going to take away the hindrances so that people can be eternally with me forever. That's why he came. To help break through some of the barriers that they had put in place. And legalism that leads to judgmentalism is one of those that we even see today. So as we close... What might you find yourself being when it comes to some legalistic tendencies? Is there something that you have overemphasized based on a rule over even and above relationship? And more importantly, who do you know that needs to be invited to Easter services online or on site? We have a phrase around here. and We ask the question, who's your one? Who's the one person That God has placed. And the craziest part about this whole COVID year and this online experience is that you and I can literally invite anybody in the world to attend an Easter service, which just blows my mind. Like last year, because we had no other options, I invited family members from Washington, D.C. and down in Southern California, and they watched. And I was like, this is cool. I can invite anybody. And so who is it that God is asking for you online to invite? Who is it that God's asking for you to invite on site Why? Because eternity is at stake. And what makes Jesus mad is anything that's going to hinder or stop people's connection with him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. This is the day. This is the moment. This is the series. For us to ask ourselves, are we angry about the things that make you angry? And does it motivate us as a sense of passion to be able to do something about it? Father, may we fall in love with you. May your word be the thing that just is just a sweet, uh, not only aroma, but it, it is something that fills us on a regular basis, that we fall in love with what you have to say in your word because it's based on a person. Father, help us to avoid the legalism that can come and the judgmentalism that can take place, especially for those who are not a part of you. And so right now, we pray for everybody that comes to our heart and mind who does not yet have a relationship with you. And maybe that's somebody online right now. And if you're watching online, I pray that you would make it known that your next step is to receive Jesus Christ. He's made a way for you. And maybe you're here on site, and maybe that's you as well. And I just pray that you'd pray for yourself or you'd pray for someone you know that you are going to be inviting to come to an Easter service. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.